Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You've already blessed us abundantly this Sabbath day. And Your Holy Spirit has already been felt here. We just ask for another special outpouring on this meeting, this very special meeting of ordaining these men for Your work. And we just thank You for the opportunity to serve You, and we ask that uh, Your Spirit will bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. On joy and stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. Saints at the river that flows by the throne of God, throne of God. Gonna lay down my burden, down by the riverside, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. Gonna lay down my burden. wasn't it? Thank you so much, pastors. Good to have you with us this afternoon. This is a very, very special occasion as we share together in the ordination of three pastors. I want to say a special thank you from the union perspective for all the work the organization has been put together for this camp meeting. Brother Mitchiff, his team, Brother Justin, Brother Royce, Brother Mike, all those. There's been so many. Thank you for all the work that you've done. As I think about this process of ordination, it comes to my mind how I've walked through this with other candidates before. What are we looking for as we decide through the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of, of Jesus and just how do we process this? What, what determines whether a pastor is an appropriate candidate to be ordained? I'll tell you, there's a couple of things that come to my mind. One is that that pastor is Christ-focused. That's a key. The Bible says, by their fruits you shall know them. Amen? 
Another piece that's so important is that that individual loves people. It's all about relationships. If they love people, they will be a wonderful shepherd. Now you know that a shepherd leads, but there are times when it's tough. A shepherd also has to apply the rod occasionally. Then in that process, we expect and the Lord expects a pastor to be a soul winner. If you love people, you want them to be in the kingdom with you. Amen? That's what it's all about. So praise the Lord for your evangelistic planning that you have here. There is a process that takes place where surveys are sent out, church leadership where the pastor is serving helps to evaluate that pastor. That is communicated with that pastor anonymously. Results are shared. There's interviews that go on with conference leadership, our ministerial directors, our team here at the conference office. Once the executive committee makes a decision for this candidacy, then it's punted, if you please, to the union and the Lake Union with the presidents and then the ultimately the executive committee of the Lake Union adopts and approves of that candidate to be ordained. Jesus did this very thing. You remember, as Pastor Mark was preaching today, we see in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus called those twelve together. He appointed them. They were ordained. Now, they didn't have everything together. They weren't perfect as we know. We're all in this together, aren't we? But Jesus works with us. Jesus desires to see us grow and to bear fruits for His kingdom. I do remember, I will never forget, then I'll sit down here, that Elder HMS Richards said, if you can do anything else, do it. Besides being a pastor. Anybody ever heard that? The problem is, that's a wonderful statement. But if the call of the Lord has been on your shoulders, you can't get away from it. If He has touched you and your heart is committed. Now that also means, my friends, that every one of us out here in this congregation today is a minister. We may not all be called as pastors, Pastors are specifically called to support, to train, to shepherd, and yes, to equip the laity, but they're also one of the laity themselves. We're all in this together. Amen? May God help us in this process of finishing His work so we can go home. Thank you to the Lord for these precious candidates today that will be ordained. This is um, not a graduation. Ordination is a very sacred thing. God calls every Christian, no matter what nationality, size, shape, gender they are, to be a minister of the gospel in a general sense. But the Bible is very clear that God calls some to be pastors, some to be teachers. So, 
this is an opportunity when when uh, candidates are brought into the pastoral field, they are placed in a position where they are able to demonstrate their calling. And as that is is evaluated, as Elder Painitz told uh, explained, as that as that is evaluated and processed over a period of time, years. Three to five years. Uh, that evaluation then uh, is is looked at and then is is acted upon, and that is what's happening right here today. So this is a very special time for each of these candidates. Each candidate was given the opportunity to to have someone that really had a meaningful part in their ministry to present them. And so what you will see is each candidate will come up and then there will be a person that has been asked to, to, to speak in their behalf and they will do that and will follow that order. There will be three different ones. Thank you. I first met Cody and Mandy Francis in 2013. Cody was the dean, the academic dean at Heartland College at the time. And he was one of the elders at a small 7th Avenue church called Warrenton, maybe 30, 35 members, not far from Washington, D.C. My wife and I joined that church, and I became impressed immediately with Cody's balanced judgment. I saw him in a number of situations in the local church where he had to navigate through some complex issues, and I I watched as the godly wisdom was manifest in those situations. I was impressed with his biblical knowledge as he taught Sabbath school and as he opened the Word of God. I was also impressed with his evangelistic passion and his preaching. And as I got to know Cody and and Mandy, uh, Mandy's graciousness or hospitality was a tremendous blessing to our church. And the three children, Carice and Serena and Hosanna, uh, all involved as a family in ministry. And in, as they pastor in the Petoskey District now, I know that they have been led of God and that God has graciously guided. When you look at a candidate for ordination, And I participated in a number of ordinations. One of the things that impresses me about about Cody particularly is that he has some basic biblical qualities that undergird the success of every pastor. Uh, Cody is committed to Christ. He has an authentic relationship with Jesus. You don't have to be with him too long before that, that stands out. He's committed to the Word of God. He preaches not philosophy, not humanism, but but God's word. He's committed to the Adventist message. He understands Adventist identity, that this is more than just another denomination, but it's a prophetic movement of destiny. He is mission-driven and has an evangelistic passion in his heart. And You can't be around Cody too long before you sense that his love is for souls. He's got a commitment to church organization, He's not going to take his churches off into some tangent here or there, but he senses the largeness, the bigness of the Adventist message. 
And so, Pastor Mitchell, it is with absolute full confidence the call of God on, on Cody's heart and that Mandy will stand by his side and the three children will be participants in this ministry that I present him to you and to the conference for ordination today. I'm very thankful to the Lord for the opportunity and the call to serve. I'm thankful for how the Lord has led in each in our lives. Not always been a conventional route to ministry, but Bible work, evangelism, church planting, being able to learn with Pastor Finley, and I appreciate what he shared at Living Hope and others there, ministering there at Heartland and now at Petoskey and Sheboygan and Carp Lake in northern Michigan. And uh, I'm thankful to for the message that God has given to us. I remember nearly 30 years ago, I guess, my mother returned from Uchi Pines in Alabama, and she was afraid to share what she had learned there with me. But I'm thankful that the Lord softened my heart and gave the this an understanding of this precious truth from God's Word that God has given. I'm also very thankful for my family. Mandy stands beside me at all ministry for each of my girls. And I'm thankful that they enjoy going on Bible studies and visits together. And I want to answer this call from God. We recognize that ordination does not add anything, but is a recognition of the call that God has already given. And we're simply earthen vessels. But I ask that you would pray for us, that God can use us to save souls for his kingdom. And as we're here today, I think back to when I was a young teenage boy, wondering what I was to do, how I was to, what was the purpose in my life. And I'd, we had been on a camping trip, and I was reading through the book of Colossians every day. And I'd read the book of Colossians probably 10 to 15 times within that week or so. And uh, I don't remember what time it was, but I remember the event, the time, the place. The last, second to the last verse, Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, struck me like probably nothing else I've read in the Bible before. It says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. And as I read that text, and the Lord used that text to speak directly to my heart, it didn't say, and say to Archippus, it said, and say to Cody, take heed to the ministry that you have received of the Lord, that you fulfill it. And so I pray that Mandy and I can be faithful to that call, call to be a servant of servants, call to give this most precious message of Jesus' death, resurrection, and soon return, and that we can lead men and women out of darkness into the light of truth to these great truths of the Seventh-day Adventist message. And so I ask that you pray for us, that God may use us, even in a small way, to lead souls to his kingdom. I don't remember when I first met the Hinkle family, but I got to know them well when I became the superintendent of a pastoral district here that Taylor was pastoring in in the Frost and Ithaca churches. 
He was also living on the campus of Great Lakes Academy here, where I was pastoring at the Cedar Lake Church. Since that time, I've gotten to know Taylor and Ariel quite well, and I consider them dear friends. I've been blessed, privileged, and honored to have officiated in the dedication of both of their precious children, first Genesis and then Malachi, very recently, and I feel very honored to have a part in this ordination service. And while I value our friendship, ordination to the gospel ministry is a solemn and sacred event. It is when a man is recognized by the church as a full-fledged minister of the gospel. The Bible admonishes us to lay hands suddenly on no man. A man must first demonstrate his calling. The laying on of hands confers no special gift. It only recognizes the gift already bestowed. When I look at you, Taylor, I see a lot of myself when I began in ministry. My family left the Adventist church when I was in my teens. I lived for the world with no thought of eternity. And when I was converted and the Lord called me into ministry, I feared becoming a minister who was more concerned with position and influence than preaching the gospel. Of climbing some hierarchical ladder than following the meek and lowly example of Christ. And I vowed by the grace of God to follow in the footsteps of my master, who, in the words of Ellen White, was neither dejected by censure nor elated by applause. I would stand for truth, live the truth, preach the truth, no matter what the cost. Little did I realize at that time what the cost would be. The Lord would call me to preach and address things that would cause division between myself and those who were dearest and closest to me. That would turn friends into enemies. That would limit career opportunities. That would draw accusations of not being supportive of the church or school or individuals or whatever other cause or person I was supposed to be supportive of. I share these things because I've seen similar struggles in you, Taylor. And I think every minister who wants to do the will of Jesus finds the same. But this same pathway, although sometimes strewn with heartache and tears, is a pathway we are privileged to walk. For those tears are not ours alone, but the tears of our Master also. It is the pathway by which souls are saved for eternity, the joy of whom we now have a share. And if this is the cost for such joy this light affliction which we endure in ministry, at times, the cost is negligible, not worth considering. For the privilege and honor better suited for one far more worthy and deserving. Working in the close proximity that I did, I've been able to observe Taylor's ministry, both as a pastor and a Bible teacher. And there are many things I could say about Taylor, time permitting. He's an energetic preacher in the pulpit. Personally, however, he's rather quiet and introspective, reserved, thoughtful, sincere, and earnest, deeply feeling. He loves people and he loves the Lord. Above all else, Taylor is passionate about the truth of the gospel. He's earnest to a fault. He's genuinely, deeply Seventh-day Adventist. 
In the book Education, we are told that the greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold, who in their inmost souls are true and honest, who don't fear to call sin by its right name, whose conscience is true as duty to the needle, as the needle is to the pole, and who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. I believe Taylor Hinkle to be such a man, God's man for this time, and for this reason, I'm presenting him for ordination to the gospel ministry. Sometimes you get the privilege of asking two people to be your sponsor. I had that privilege, my father-in-law, and then another minister that was a blessing to me. So I get to work with Elder Howard in co-presenting the Hinkles for ordination. So Taylor and Ariel, you know, it's a true joy to stand here together with you at this moment. And we know that heaven is looking down with favor upon you during this hour And it's because they've looked on you previously that they continue to look down upon you now and will continue in the future. But you're not just being called simply to the gospel ministry, but a minister in God's last day remnant church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, which we believe that Christ is leading. I remember when you first came to AFCO and you had a, a certain bearing about you. And then I got to hear you preach and I said, Lord, I'm certain that you're going to call him to the gospel ministry. And it wasn't long after that that you came to me and we talked about that and and confirmed that God was calling you. And, you know, I have witnessed God leading you every step of the way since then until this very moment. And I was thrilled when I first heard that you guys were coming to Michigan to be uh, serving here in this field. And it's been a real honor for me to serve with you guys through the years. You know, Ariel, you are a sweet and precious godly woman, and I believe that the Spirit of the Lord rests upon you. I couldn't think of a more suited companion for Taylor, and you have so many wonderful gifts, including a mother, being having music, and you have a special way to minister to the hearts of people. And you know, I know that you guys are going to be a wonderful team together moving forward, but I also know that you'll have specific areas of ministry that he will not be able to, to, to carry out, but you'll have that ability to do that. So we both count you as our dearest friends and our brothers and sisters in the faith and in the ministry. You know, Taylor, Jesus has a standard as a minister and as a shepherd. And that standard was demonstrated in his own life and the way that he ministered and shepherded us. I've seen your heart shine with love for the Savior and for others. And I know that that's going to continue to shine in those around you. I've seen your humility before the Lord. I've seen you not seek your own glory or spotlight. And I've seen you intentionally run from that spotlight. And that's a demonstration of a true minister. I've seen the example in your life of Galatians 2.20. The Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you'll keep in front of you the constant reminder that he gave himself for you, then it will instill his power and his grace in you to give yourself for others. And I know that He's going to fulfill His purpose and His will in your life. Your own comfort 
and your own pleasure must never hinder the call of God upon your life. It's the calling of the highest order. A holy and sacred calling and responsibility rests upon your life. But you only need to look to Christ's sacrifice for you and for the world, and His loss for your gain will give you the victory every time. If you'll but submit and surrender yourself to Him in this way every day, then His example will become your experience. The Lord has given you a very sensitive conscience to His Spirit. I know that I've seen in you uh, His leading. I've seen you placed in difficult situations where many others may have wavered and failed, but His faithfulness has upheld you both in those difficult times. And I see in your heart a genuine love for Christ, His truth, and His church. I also know that you have a very deep love for souls, and it's a burden that only the true minister can carry. We're all called to carry this burden, but there's something specific about the minister that carries this burden as a shepherd of God's people. Ellen White says that God's ministers should untiringly wrestle with the Lord in prayer until the Lord blesses them. And when the love of God is burning on the altar of their hearts, they will not preach to exhibit their own smartness or intelligence, but to present Christ who taketh, who taketh away the sins of the world. Ordination is not an award. It is not an accomplishment. It is not an accolade. It is not a club, a hierarchy, or a promotion. Ordination is not something that is sought after as the world seeks after ambition. It is God's call upon your life to do a work that is bigger than yourself. And God intentionally lays on such a size of work for you to prevent you from looking to yourself, but only trusting in Him. This is my counsel to you from the pen of inspiration from Gospel Workers, page 100. Ellen White says, In the great conflict before us, he would keep true to Christ must penetrate deeper than the opinions and doctrines of men. My message to ministers, young and old, is this. Guard jealously your hours for prayer, Bible study, and self-examination. Set aside a portion of each day for a study of the Scriptures and communion with God. Thus you will obtain spiritual strength and will grow in favor with God. He alone can give you noble aspirations. He alone can fashion the character after the divine similitude. Draw near to Him in earnest prayer, and He will fill your hearts with the highest and holy purposes and with deep, earnest longings for purity and clearness of thought. As the Apostle Peter charged the elders of the church, so I repeat that charge to you. Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Because of your love for Christ, because of your love for His church, because of your faithfulness to the Bible and to the Seventh-day Adventist message. I believe that God has prepared you for this work. And I know that you'll continue, He will continue to draw close to you in the brightest and darkest of times. And for that reason, it's my joy and pleasure to present you 
as a minister of the gospel and for the ordination of the gospel ministry. May God's blessing be upon you. I was talking with um, Elder Dwayne McKee, who is the president of uh, Adventist World Radio, not that long ago, and he told me, he says, you know, I really am sorry I'm not going to be able to be at your camp meeting this summer because I wanted to be there for Taylor Hinkle's ordination. And he said it with such sorrow in his voice. I said, if you would write something, I will read it for you. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And so he quickly sent me this message that he would like to give to you, Taylor, and to Ariel. I remember, Taylor, you were just 14 years old, and I was having the orientation for the Share Him team in Malawi. It was a Thursday night. Your parents were there, and the meetings were going to start on Friday night. Your mom was going to preach, and you had planned on helping her. However, I had a problem. One of our speakers from the U.S. did not show up. Somehow they got to South Africa but never made it up to Malawi. But the person not coming was all in God's plan. I happened to have an extra video projector and a DV player. I asked you, would you take the outdoor site where the people are waiting for a guest evangelist from the U.S.? They will be greatly disappointed if you don't have a, if they don't have a guest speaker. Would you do it? I asked. No was your clear response. Then I asked a second time, and your response was again, no. I had imagined to say, I, had, I was impressed to say, let me show you how it works. It's so easy. I set everything up and gave you the paper notes in advance. I said, just push the button and read the words in the script across from the picture out loud. You tried it, and then I asked, would you pray about preaching tomorrow night? Later that day, after much encouragement, you finally said, okay, I will try it just once. You were scared to death, but I assured you that no one has ever died. <laughs> the first night went so, so much better. But then each night got better. I said goodbye and then flew south to South Africa to be at another group and then on to Zambia for another group. Two years passed, and Kathy and I came to Dallas from Arizona for the Just Claim It NAD rally. I never will forget. We were sitting in the audience waiting for three young presenters who would each preach a short sermon that Sabbath morning. I could not believe it when the third speaker walked onto the stage, and it was you, Taylor. You were incredible. I kept think, thinking back to Malawi and saying to myself, this can't be. Tears filled my eyes as I realized I was witnessing a God thing, a miracle. Even now, years later, when I think of what God has done in your life, I feel emotional all over again. God has used you in a mighty way, but this is only the beginning. He has called you and Ariel to fulfill the special plan he has for you both along with your little family, and that is to help finish his work so we can get off this old ball of mud and go home. Kathy and I will always hold you guys up in prayer. 
Blessings to you both and your special family, Dwayne. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. These words were resounding in my mind one morning as a 17-year-old young man, sitting on my bed as the sunshine came through the window, because I could relate to these words. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints. Those words seemed to perfectly describe my life. It had been less than a year since I began surrendering my life to God. And as I looked back on the years of my life before committing my life to God, I was heartbroken. I had turned my back on God. I had disgraced the name of a Christian and of a Seventh-day Adventist. I had hurt and injured people very severely. And I was enslaved in sin. On an almost daily basis, I would weep as I came to the Lord in prayer in the mornings, as I was filled with regretful memories of my past. And without a doubt, I was less than the least of all the saints. However, while my heart was broken with my past life, I had an overwhelming burden to tell others the beautiful truths of Jesus that had transformed my life. But up until that morning, until I had read Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, I had thought that I was disqualified to share the truth of Jesus with others because of my past. But as I read those precious words again, unto me who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? I was struck with the fact that even though I might have been less than the least of all of the saints, that God's grace could empower me to share the unsearchable riches of Christ with others. I was overwhelmed with emotion. What grace. What a privilege that the Lord of glory would allow the least of us the opportunity to be his ministers. It is still with a sense of unworthiness today that I am humble to minister these precious life-changing truths of the Seventh-day Adventist Church with others. It's through the grace of God that we accept the call to the ordination of gospel ministry. Camille, I believe that every ministry and every person who works in ministry should have texts in the scripture that define their ministry. And when I think of you, I think of Isaiah, the 55th chapter, verse 11. So the Lord, word should go forth from his mouth and shall not return unto him void but shall accomplish what he pleases and shall prosper in the things for which he sent them. This truly is a key verse, a key thought for your ministry because you have been responsible for millions of tracts and books placed spreading the message of Jesus Christ and of Adventism.
But those of you who know me know that I love young people and the youth ministry that you are involved in is one that changes and touches people, young men and women, to join God. Not hundreds, but thousands in your case. The young man who just spoke is one of those. Ask him, he will tell you. Youth ministry. If all of our young people were now involved in this type of serving God, I will tell you the Adventist church would not be losing their young people today. I thank the Michigan Conference for the fact that they have invested so much money, time, and effort into it. And as I walk across this campus, and I'm unable to stop or talk because so many people know me just from my occasional visits, I cannot imagine how you are going to be known through time. Two parts of your ministry, literature, but the one that I think is doing the most right now is your youth ministry. We've come here today to affirm you for your work. You are coming to ordination in a different track than the normal person coming to ordination. I can remember when I hired you for your first job. Shortly afterwards, someone arrived to me and said, uh, Larry, um, have you seen uh, Camille's two brothers? So handsome, so talented. Why didn't you pick one of them? I'm going to give you today the answer I gave them then and would give again if I was asked that question is before me stood a young man who had sold himself out for God and for his Savior, Jesus Christ. He was humble. He did not look for the first place. He did not care what job you gave him. He was a worker. didn't matter how dirty, how unfavorable it was. He was willing to take that job. His commitment to everything in his life was built around his relationship to God. I, I loved him courting his wife. You know, most young men talk about how beautiful they are and how sweet they are and how charming they are. And why she definitely had all those qualities. He always spoke of her deep abiding care for God and how it impressed him and moved him, how she was unmovable when it came to God. He picked the perfect person for his ministry. You both have a unique set of talents and abilities that no one else, not, I'm sorry, that's a bad statement, that most people do not have in the Adventist church because of what have you've done. I believe that ordination is not just for the man of the family, but for the mother, for the wife, and for 
for Becca and for Micah. I will tell you that as I look across the Scripture, I see Moses standing on a high hill looking down at Israel in a death struggle. And his hands were up and they would win and be victorious. But as he would become tired and drop by his side, they would start to lose. Annette, Rebecca, Micah, Every pastor, everyone that works for God goes through dark hours. And He needs you, each one of you and His family, to help hold those arms up. Today is a day of affirmation for a job well done. Pretty soon, if you stay here, you will see what his work does. But I would be remiss today if I did not challenge you, because too many times have I seen young people and my close friends who've come to ordination and then they retired. Once they were sure of taking care of themselves and their family from cradle to grave, They somehow forgot to continue to care and to hunger for souls. And I today want to ask you from the bottom of my heart to recommit yourself, Camille. Not just here, but take your family into your closet together and kneel down and recommit to this cause. I I, I encourage you to take the word that comes out of his mouth and not to let it return to him void. I encourage you to constantly work to accomplish what that word he wants it to proceed and to prosper in the things for which it should stand. I ask you, I commit you to commit yourself today to recommitting yourself to the ministry that God has given you. You see, the reason this is so important, Camille and Annette, is because we're at the end of time. In Volume 7 of the Testimonies, page 140, an Ellen White speaking of that great angel of Revelation 18.1, as he comes down having great power, and he illuminates and lightens the earth with his glory, that she says that much of that work will be done by publishing. And so, that means that you will be on the front lines. That means that it's going to be thicker and harder. I've been in battle. I know what it means to be in the front lines. And so I ask you today to commit yourself again anew to this cause for what's coming is going to be far fiercer and more intense than it ever has been in time. Will you make that commitment?
Thank you, Elder Carter. I'd like to acknowledge my mother who's watching. My siblings are watching. My children, my mother-in-law are here. We acknowledge the church members, the literature evangelist, and the youth literature evangelist today. When I was 17 years old, my local pastor asked me if I ever thought about going to the ministry. I told him no. I had other plans. Following my plans, I came to the United States to study English and then planned to go home to Europe to pursue a secular degree. I always wanted to serve God, but only as a lay member. However, while studying English in the U.S., I had a roommate who began to ask me questions about my future plans. As I answered him, I began to realize that I had my life planned out. I had not asked God what he wanted me to do. I began to pray and ask God to show me what it was that he wanted me to do in my life. As it turned out, I ended up staying in the United States, began to study for the ministry. During college, I did evangelism in over 20 different states and took part in a couple of mission trips overseas as well, which I found to be very fulfilling. I asked God to help me choose a ministry in which I could, He could use me to make the greatest impact. As I considered different passages from the inspired writings, I concluded that for me, it was the literature ministry. After college, I got a call to serve in the Literature Ministries Department of the Mission Conference. I continued doing ministry that I loved, evangelism, utilizing literature with young people and church members all over the state of Michigan. God gave me the awesome privilege to work with wonderful young people and mission-minded, committed church members in the Mission Conference. In 2013, I also was invited to oversee the GLOW ministry for the rest of the world. To me, this seemed like a daunting task. I hesitated and only accepted the call because they believed that I could do it. I learned that any success that we may attend is an evidence that God is willing to use us as human means, humble means, I mean. I've had the opportunity to share a locally created initiative with conferences, unions, and divisions around the world. I value the privilege of serving in the literature ministries, literature ministry in Michigan for the past 16 years. The Michigan Conference leadership, the pastor, the church members strongly believe in and use literature as a way of planting the seed of God's word throughout the state. I've also appreciated the Pacific Union's commitment, Elder Carter, Elder Crick, and support for the evangelistic efforts of our young people and members in total member involvement for our territory. Our church pioneers were committed to literature ministry as well. Alan White remarked, from the small beginning, it was shown to be to me to be like streams of light that went clear round the world. Though this work had humble beginnings, it will have a glorious ending. I want to appeal to our church members, our pastors, the conference, union, division leaders, and the world church to continue to support this ministry. Let's share literature and let's have faith in what God has promised. I've served 
as a lay member this far, and now willing to serve the Lord as an ordained minister as well. Amen. I'm wondering in this auditorium, how many ordained Seventh-day Adventist ministers are they? Would you just raise your hand? Now, I know that Seventh-day Adventist ministers are not shy, so would you just stand up so we can see you? Now, gentlemen, I want to ask you, if you're an ordained minister of the gospel, to come up on the platform and join us as we set these three ministers apart for God. Just come on in, press in. You're going to want to squeeze in tight here. And we're going to kneel together at this time. Just come on up and join us as we kneel together before the Lord. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, We thank you for the sacredness of this day and the sacredness of this hour. And on this holy Sabbath day, under your heavenly guidance, we are setting these three men apart publicly before you and before each one here for ordination to the gospel ministry. Today we lay our hands upon Cody Francis with his wife Mandy by his side. Taylor Hinkle with his wife Ariel by his side. And Camille Metz with his wife Annette by his side. As we set these godly men apart to this appointed office, We are investing them with full ecclesiastical authority. Fill each of them as your under-shepherds with the Holy Spirit as they lead out to advance your work to preach the gospel for the saving of souls. Strengthen them against the prevailing winds as they minister to prepare a people to meet their God. Guard them, lest they ever bring reproach upon the cause of Christ. May they continue to grow in grace and power as they put their full confidence in you and your holy word, ever looking Unto Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Father, as you have instructed, 
Today we are setting the seal of the church upon the work of God. For we pray it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Pastors, I want to share something with you. God has called you to stand for Him. He didn't say it would be easy. He told you ahead of time it won't. We already know that you'll never make it on your own. And unless you are fully dependent upon Christ, you'll not make it. You don't know what's ahead of you, but God does. He knows the challenges. He knows what the devil is going to try to do to discourage you. But God says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if you remember where your source of strength is each morning, God will guarantee your success. Paul wrote a charge to Timothy, which I want to go over with you. But this charge is not for Timothy today. This charge is for you, Pastor Francis. For you, Pastor Hinkle. For you, Pastor Hinkle. This is for you. And instead of it being me charge, I'm going to say God is charging you. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. I want to caution you. Preaching the Word is not telling a story and entertaining. Preaching the Word is not telling a joke or some humorous thing. Preaching the Word is when you have a love for souls and you're reading what God has given you and He's given you a message And you are sharing His message. And He doesn't share jokes. He doesn't share trivia stuff. He shares something that reaches the soul. You won't be able to share that without Him. Because if you share your message, it won't change anybody. But if you share God's message, it will move the soul every time. But you won't know God's message unless you're spending time with Him and in His Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. And you cannot be ready if you aren't spending time in God's Word. So as you constantly are spending time in His Word, studying, don't use your personal time for sermon prep. 
There are times when that has to happen, but don't let it be the, the, the main thing. Use that personal time for personal growth. Personal connection. Set aside some other time, additional time, where you can actually understand what God's message is and prepare to, to give that. In season and out of season, when you spend time with God, you don't have to worry about being prepared. Convince. And it's not talking about arguing. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit is what convinces the soul. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't convince anybody. Because if you can talk them into it, somebody else can talk them out of it. But if the Holy Spirit brings conviction in the heart, nobody can talk them out of it. They have to reject it. Rebuke. Be careful with that one. If you don't have love in your heart for that person, you're better to be quiet than not say anything. And if you don't, go to your knees. Plead for love in your heart for the soul of that person before you go to rebuke them. Never rebuke someone backhandedly. Treat them as you would want to be treated. And if there is a problem, take that person to the Lord in your private time. Plead with the Lord on how to do it. And God will provide an opportunity for you to do it. Divine appointment. Providence will lead the way. Exhort. Be liberal in your exhorting. Encourage. Affirm. Be liberal. Constantly look for the good. With all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That time has come. The doctrines that we hold dear are being challenged. Some of the ones that we thought were the obvious, most obvious, are being challenged. If you don't spend time with God and you won't spend time in God's Word, you could be deceived. But if you're spending time in God's Word and if you are doing the one thing that you must do every day and surrender to Christ, you cannot be deceived. Because the Holy Spirit won't let it you be deceived. It goes on and it says, But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap upon themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned in aside to fables. I want to caution you right now. Oftentimes when ministers preach, I know I'm a minister. You wonder how effective your sermon was. And so you try to use that perception to say, well, how did that go? And you're looking for affirmation. And if you allow that to be the pattern of your life, people's response will determine what you preach. But if you ask the Lord to help you to only seek His affirmation, 
you may preach a sermon that nobody likes, including your wife. But if God affirms you, you'll be okay. Because you're used to the affirmation. Now, I want to say something to you wives. You stand beside your husband. You're part of his ministry. You are a sermon every day, every Sabbath in shoes. You don't have to say one word, but everyone's watching. Because what he preaches has to be lived out in practice, and if it isn't, then it's not going to be effective for somebody else. But I want to tell you something else. Unbeknownst to them, they probably already know it, but they may not admit it. Unless you ask them because they're honest men. You probably have the most influence on their preaching of any person. And you can oftentimes, the things that are really important to you will come out in a sermon. The things that are not so important will be quieter. It'll be unperceptive. But you have that kind of an impact on your spouse. Spend time in your prayer closet. If you want to be a strong team, you may not sit down and write that sermon with your husband, but you'll have an impact on it. In your prayer time together, in your study time together, you'll have an impact. And when the Holy Spirit has spoke and you know it, affirm it with your husband. He will appreciate the affirmation. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I believe all three couples have high levels of integrity. God forbid that it should ever happen. But if you ever come to a point in which you do not believe the fundamental beliefs as taught in this by this church, then if you're honest and continue to be honest, turn your credentials in, have your ordination revoked because you no longer are preaching and believing. God forbid that that should ever happen. And it'll never happen if you spend time in your prayer closet with the God. Because God's Word doesn't change. He gave it to us. It won't change. We change. But with the Holy Spirit, we change more in the image of Christ. And that's what we want more than anything. Now, God has called you to a work. He didn't call you to relax. But I want to caution you before I close. Gentlemen, I'm going to talk specifically to you. He didn't call you to give 100% of your time to the church. Within that time frame that God gives all of us, He expects you first Your first duty is to guard your family. But balanced equally with that 
is the work of the gospel, which really your family is the work of the gospel. But don't exclude them. Your church members come after your family. God comes first. Then your spouse. Then your children making up your family. And then your church family. And then beyond. Make sure it's balanced. And God is the only one who can give you the wisdom and the ability to balance that in a way that it works for everyone. So spend that time with God and He'll do it. God bless you. You've been set aside for the gospel work. The Holy Spirit dwells in your heart, not because we put it there, but because it was there before. And now God is going to bless you abundantly and continue to bless you. God bless you. I'd like to invite the ministerial department to step forward, if you would, please. And we'll face them because we're going to be addressing them right now. The ministerial department is here to encourage you in your ministry and your service for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a representative of the ministerial department this afternoon, I'd like to welcome you to the ordained ministry of the gospel. So to you, Elder Francis, Mrs. Francis, God bless you. Elder Hinkle, Mrs. Hinkle, God bless you in your ministry and service for Jesus. Elder Metz, Mrs. Metz, God bless you as you serve the Lord in the capacity that he's given to you to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We have something else we want to give to you, and so I'm going to turn this over to Elder Stewart and Mrs. Um, Mrs. <laughs> Elder Peppers. You'd be able to, oh, the wives, that's where I got to share to bring them in. That, I knew the missus was in there somewhere, right? I'd like to have my wife share now with you. I'm Lori Snayman, and I'm privileged to serve in the ministerial department as an assistant to the ministerial director. And I'm Marion Peppers. Um, Wes Peppers is my husband, and I'm Lori's assistant to the shepherds. And ordination is not just about the pastors, it's about the wives. And one of my main duties is to work with ministry wives. And we wanted to take a few minutes to thank you for what you do and your contributions to your husband's ministries because your impact is felt so much in your churches. They're very interested in how you are. Even when we go to interview, it's so amazing. They always want to know about the wife and the family. And so we asked... Maybe you didn't know it. We asked your husbands if they would write something about their wives because we know that they, yes, they appreciate what you do for their ministry. So Cody, Elder Cody Francis now, wrote this regarding Mandy. He said, I'm so thankful for Mandy at my side. I recognize that in some respects it can be more difficult being a pastor's wife than being a pastor. Mandy is persistently there, praying, supporting, and encouraging me. Wives play such a vital role in their husband's ministry. I find that Mandy also is able to minister to others in many ways that I'm unable to, like in music, 
hospitality, health ministry, children's ministry, and so much more. She does this while keeping our home running smoothly. It is my great joy that when we are both able to do Bible studies, visits, and other ministries together, I can praise God for all that Mandy does. I'm very happy that along with our girls, together as an entire family, we can serve God as a ministry team. It is such a privilege to work together with Mandy in this ministry. And I'm privileged to read what Taylor, Elder Taylor Hinkle, had to say about his wife, Ariel. Ariel is the greatest blessing God could ever have given me. We first got to know each other while involved in evangelistic outreach. We grew closer since we shared a common goal, living a life devoted to finishing God's work. Ariel's passion to serve the Lord with all her heart is inspiring. Her joyful spirit makes life's burdens light for me. She has a tremendous ability to connect with others and draw close to their hearts. I remember walking into a member's home where Ariel was giving a Bible study, and I was amazed as she shared the Bible with such hope and power. She wasn't simply fulfilling her pastor's wife duties, but instead sharing her precious friend Jesus with that person in a powerful way. Ministry seems to be in Ariel's DNA. I appreciate Ariel's diligent efforts and by God's grace that our children are also learning to love ministry by ministering to others and living as missionaries on this earth. Ariel isn't just the sunshine of our home. She is the love of my life. Camille shared this about his wife, Annette. When I was a boy, my mother told me that though it was not yet time to look for a spouse, it was time to pray that God would prepare one for me, and that's what I began to do. God answered my childhood prayer, even though I had yet to realize its significance. Ten years or so later, in the summer of 98, I met you, Annette, while doing evangelism in Charleston, West Virginia. I noticed some of your amazing qualities. You greatly cared for people and for God. And I decided that one day I was going to marry someone just like you who had those qualities. Little did I know that the one I admired that day would actually become my wife later. Over the years, I have watched you gain an evangelistic experience in canvassing, Bible work, preaching, teaching, training, and writing. This has made you a great ministry partner. I am privileged to call you my wife, the mother of my two children, and my lifelong partner in ministry. So to all of you ladies, we just want to say we are so thankful that you have teamed up with your husbands to help us here in the um, Michigan Conference. It's a great joy to welcome each of you to the Gospel Ministry in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we'd like to present you with a plaque that recognizes the that the church recognizes your call to ministry and that heaven recognizes that first and foremost, but that God's world church recognizes that. Now you have the authority as an ordained minister to perform all the functions of that office throughout the world. So on behalf of the Michigan Conference and the Ministerial Department, Certificate of Ordination for Elder Cody Francis. Also, Certificate of Ordination for Elder Taylor Hinkle.
and certificate of ordination for Elder Camille Metz. May God bless each one of you. At this time, we are going to conclude our service by the singing of a wonderful hymn that summarizes the call and the charge and the mission of a minister. Just want to let you know as a congregation that while we are singing this hymn, the candidates that have now been ordained will be moving back to the commons. We would like to ask you please to remain here until the hymn is completed. When we've had our closing prayer, you will then be dismissed. Please don't leave before that. And we'd like to ask you, if you're going to greet the candidates, that you will do so by exiting the building, uh, the auditorium here, and going outside to the hall, and then making your way back to the commons to be able to greet them back there, because there is a program that follows here immediately, and we do not want to linger in this place. So please, thank you for cooperating with us and uh, waiting here until the service is completely uh, finished before uh, making your way out to the hallway and back to the commons. At this time, I'd like to invite you to stand as we sing this hymn. So send I you, by grace made strong to triumph. Or hosts of hell, or darkness, death, and sin—I name to bear, and in that name to conquer. So send I you, my victory to win. So send I. sets the captive free to break the bonds of sin to loose death's fetters. So send I you to bring the lost to me. So send I you my strength to My joy in grief, my perfect peace in pain, to prove my power, my grace, my promised presence. So send I you, eternal fruit to gain. So send. Yeah.
Father in heaven, we're all called to carry the message of the gospel to the world, whether we're ordained ministers or those that are simply ministers called by Jesus to carry the gospel message to the world. Lord, we have witnessed today a special setting aside of these pastors, these ministers to serve you. We pray a special blessing upon them and their families and their congregations as they take up this work in a special way now. May your Holy Spirit lead them and use them to your honor and glory. As we leave this place, we go encouraged that Jesus is in charge of all our lives. May we faithfully serve him and serve Jesus until the Lord returns. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.